So we are looking at Jacob today in the book of Genesis. Um, Jacob gets a lot of airtime. He is uh, the younger twin with his brother Esau, two boys. And um, so we got Jacob and Esau, and it got me thinking about me and, and my brother. I have one brother uh, who's two years younger than me. And um, Jacob and Esau, they were, they were rivals, and they were constantly struggling with one another. My brother and I have always been really close. We've been really, really good friends. I know that some families out there, there's a lot of tension and a lot of sibling rivalry. That was never the case for my brother and I. We never really had that tension, except for this one time. And it involved a girl. So we had some family friends from Scotland who'd known my parents a very long time. And these friends of my parents had two daughters. And uh, the oldest daughter was about six months older than me, so she's basically my age. And then the, the younger daughter was, right, was just slightly younger than my brother. So this was about my freshman year of high school. And they came to stay with us one summer for a good chunk of time. And um, big piece of information you need to know. The, the older sister, the one who was my age, was just smoking hot. I mean, just drop dead gorgeous, Okay. So they came to stay, and we were, we were having a ball. And, of course, I'm thinking, oh, this is amazing. Like, what an incredible thing that just dropped into my lap. This is, this is awesome. So, of course, I'm thinking, this is very simple, okay? Two boys, two girls, you know, we've got the age thing going on. It's, it's very easy, okay? It was just one problem. The older sister, she just took to my brother, man. Like, she had a thing for him, and instantly they made this connection, and they just, they were like constantly, you know, just flirting with each other and hanging out. My brother's in sixth grade. <laughs> you know, I'm a freshman in high school, and I'm, I am looking good. I don't know what the problem is here. And so, I mean, literally, they were joined at the hip, and it drove me crazy totally crazy. So I'm stuck with the younger sister whenever we'd play games and whenever we'd hang out and whenever we do stuff. So what I started doing is I started plotting and scheming. Okay, how can I break up my brother and the smoking hot girl that's supposed to be with me? How can I do this? And so I would come up with different ideas, like right in the middle of a game, be like, okay, now we're going to switch it up, and we're going to do this other thing. And I had all these plans. I had all these schemes. and I had it all going on. The one thing I didn't have was game. I was a master schemer, but I had no game. I had no game. My brother had all the game, and I had no game. Well, Jacob was also a master schemer. But unlike me, he had game. Jacob... He had the schemes and the plans, the ideas like I had, but he was also able to pull it off. So let me tell you a little bit about Jacob. So he was this younger twin. He had an older twin brother who came out just before he did. And so what that meant at that time when he was born was he kind of had the short end of the stick in life because the firstborn son was entitled to the family birthright, the family blessing. They would get a double portion of the inheritance. And so if you weren't the firstborn son, you were just kind of out of luck. But Jacob was the master schemer. And so he schemed and he planned and he plotted his way and he managed through his own 
cunning ways to be able to trick his brother and he got the, the birthright from his brother and then he tricked his father as well when his father this gets kind of low his, his father was actually dying on his deathbed and he was ready to give his blessing to his oldest son and jacob dresses up like his his older brother esau and he scams the family and he basically gets the blessing from his dad now esau finds out about this and he is ticked i mean he is so angry that he vows i mean his dad's about to die and he says after my dad dies i am going to kill jacob for what he's done and so jacob he's no fool he's like man i am out of here and so he goes and he flees to his uncle laban's house now uncle laban man like he was a total mess you know how in every family i find this is in every family out there, there's this one uncle that, like, you don't want anyone to really ever find out about. You, you know, it's just a little off, a little strange. Or, like, if you meet somebody and you're bringing your girlfriend or your boyfriend home for the first, like, you, you, you don't tell the uncle anything about it. Like, the uncle basically shows up at the wedding, you know, and you just kind of go like, oh, yeah, this is so-and-so. Everybody's got an uncle like that, right? Well, Uncle Laban was that guy for, for Jacob. The, the master schemer Jacob had actually met his match in Laban. I mean, Laban was unbelievable. And we're not going to go into all the details, but you can read about him for yourself in Genesis. It is incredible. So Laban manages to trick Jacob into working 14 years. He thinks he's working to marry uh, this girl, Rachel, who he's just dying. He's, she's smoking hot, and he just can't wait to have her. Well, Laban manages to trick him and actually gives away his oldest daughter, Leah, first. And he gets, he gets um, Jacob to actually work for 14 years labor to, to marry, and he ends up getting two daughters. And then he tricks him and gets him to work another six years after that. So he's worked 20 years for Laban. And, and during that time, Laban is constantly cheating him out of his wages, which were paid in livestock. And there's this, this, this whole thing that's going on. It's this massive struggle for Jacob, for 20 years, man, you talk about reaping what you sow. I mean, that's, that's essentially what happens to Jacob. He finds his way into this situation, but he manages to do some selective breeding. And he manages to kind of build up a little, a little stockpile for himself. And so many two schemers are going at it. But Jacob finds a way. And then he devises this plan to be able to sneak off with his wives and kids and, and with the livestock and everything while Uncle Laban is away. And so he manages to get out of there. So the schemer has kind of overcome this massive situation. Jacob's overcome. And here's where we're going to pick up the story this morning is in Genesis 32, starting in verse 3. So 20 years now, he's been working for his uncle Laban. He's returned back, but of course, he's returning home. And who's he going to see at home? Esau, right? Who has vowed to kill him. So this is where we pick up the story. Notice Jacob still plotting and scheming, still has a great game plan for how he can overcome this situation. It says in verse 3, So then Jacob sent messages ahead to his brother Esau. He's on his way to meet Esau to come back home. He says he sent messages ahead. And Esau, who was living in the region of Seir in the land of Edom, he told them, Give this message to my master Esau. And just notice the language. Notice he just, everything is so carefully scripted in Jacob's life. He says, Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. Until now I've been living with Uncle Laban. 
And now I own cattle, donkeys, flocks of sheep and goats, and many servants, both men and women. So reading between the lines there, he's like, don't worry, Esau, I got plenty. I'm not coming to dupe you anymore, right? I have sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. So he's totally trying to butter up his angry brother. Verse 6, after delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob, and they reported, we met your brother Esau. And he's already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. It says in verse 7, Jacob was terrified at the news. So his little plot, his little scheme, trying to placate his brother, not working here. Jacob is freaking out. And so it says that he actually divides his family, his household, into two groups. He's got another plan, another scheme to work his way out of this. He figures, you know what? When this army comes through, I'll put kind of the less desirable members of my family out front, and they'll get slaughtered, and the rest of us will get away. Okay? So he comes up with that plan, and then finally he realizes, man, this is going to be bad. And so in verse 9, it says, then Jacob prayed. And this, this is an awesome prayer because, man, he is absolutely face on the ground, crying out to God. Check this out. He says, O God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives. And God did. Genesis chapter 28, he told him to return home. He told him he was going to protect him. Okay, So, so Jacob's just recounting back what God has told him earlier. He says, and you promised me, God, I will treat you kindly. I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you've shown to me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan, I had nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. Oh God, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid he's coming to attack me, along with my wives and children. But you promised me, I will surely treat you kindly, and I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore too many to count. So here is Jacob, and he is just pleading with God. I don't know if you've ever had a time of prayer where you were just face on the ground, crying out to God, pleading to God. It's real, it's raw, it's honest. And I love how he's just like, God, remember when you showed, you told me this, you promised me, you, you, you told me, you said you were going to protect me, God. He's just kind of trying to hold God to what God said. He's so desperate for God. And God answers this prayer with one of the craziest answers to prayer in the entire Bible, in my opinion, anyway, from what I've read. It's a crazy answer to prayer. Here's a desperate man, afraid for his life, crying out to God. And check out God's response to this desperate prayer from a terrified man. We pick it up in verse 22. It says, During the night, Jacob got up, and he took his two wives... His two servant wives, that's another sermon, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the Jabbok River with them. After getting them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. So now he's completely alone. He sent everyone across the other side of the river, and he is all alone. And it says then, a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he couldn't win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and he wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, 
I won't let you go unless you bless me. What's your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. And then he blessed Jacob there. Are you confused yet? Okay. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. What in the world is going on here? So Jacob prays this desperate prayer. This man shows up who actually turns out to be God in human form and wrestles Jacob, pulls his hip out of joint, changes his name to Israel, which means like you're a victor. You've wrestled with God and with men and you've overcome. And he blesses him. I mean, what kind of an answer to prayer is that? That's crazy. Jacob's going, hey, you know, thanks for the new name. And, you know, that was cool. And the, and the blessing and like, I'm victorious. And man, that was just awesome. God, you know, I am just a totally new person now. And, and yeah, and the limp and everything. That was awesome. Thank you. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. What's, what's up with that? What was God doing here in Jacob's life? Here's the deal. Don't miss this. For his entire life, Jacob has plotted and schemed, and he's found a way, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, to do it on his own. For his entire existence, Jacob has never depended on anyone. He's never put himself in a position where he said, I'm going to rely on God's help for God to help me. And so in this crazy passage that is not easy to understand and is not easy to explain, okay? I mean, this is commentators and scholars and theologians. I mean, this is a prime passage, this wrestling with God. I'd like, man, they're just, wow, what in the world is happening here, okay? But here's the deal. God's answer to Jacob here, he actually says, you know what, Jacob? I'm going to bring you, I'm going to give you a limp. I'm going to bring you to a place of dependence on me. You don't have to walk your life just completely in your own strength, completely relying on yourself. You don't have to be Mr. Independent. You don't have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. So God is bringing Jacob to a place of dependence on him. And God wants to do the exact same thing for each of us. You know, the world and our society, and this city that we live in, Washington, D.C., kind of screams out this message to us. And the message that the world gives us is, you know, the goal is to be self-sufficient. You need to get yourself in a place. You need to work yourself into a place where you don't need anybody. Become completely self-sufficient. You don't need to depend on anybody. And God says, that's not true. That's not true at all. If God had a response song to that, you know how the song would go? Lean on me when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on, because we all need somebody 
to lean on. Very good. So uh, you didn't know that I had a voice like that. See, so here's the one fill-in this morning. God wants us to lean on him. We all need somebody to lean on. And that's not the message that we hear so commonly, right? Do everything you can to not have to lean on anybody. God says, no, no, we all need somebody to lean on. And God says, you can lean on me. You have been designed, you have been created to lean on God. Now, just one point of clarification. We did this a couple weeks ago when we talked about God wants the glory. Does God need the glory? No, but God wants the glory. And if you missed that, you got to go back and listen two weeks ago. But today, it's the same kind of thing. Does God, is this some sort of like ego trip for God? Does God just need all of us leaning on him? And then God just feels so good and so needed. No, God doesn't need us. God doesn't need us to lean on him. We need God. We need to lean on God. We have never been designed to rely completely on ourselves, to be independent people. We were made to lean on God. After I graduated college, um, I had a pretty sweet setup going on. I was living in Cincinnati, right uh, in kind of in the heart of the city, with some of my really good friends from college, and we just were having a blast. To top it off, I was, uh, I, I was working my dream job. I was getting paid way more than I was worth, and I, re- I was in a job where I really felt like not only was I getting paid well, and it was challenging, and I was working with great people, but I was also making a difference in the world. So I just really, it was a sweet spot for me in terms of my work. And then to top it all off, I was dating my dream girl, so, um, who I ended up marrying, Becky, smoking hot. Um, so, man, it was just all going well for me. Totally just set up, having a blast. Well, Becky, uh, she had a lot of faith, and she was going to this church very much like Grace Community Church that was right down the street from my house. And so after a lot of asking and encouraging, and you should come, and it would be good, I finally started checking out. I've been a long time away from church, a long time away from, from Christianity and you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I kind of reluctantly started going. And... Um, I remember going, and and for the first time in my life, I felt like, wow, the Bible was being opened up to me. I was understanding God and God's word, and and it was really just so relevant, and it was was cool. And and, and so I was going every week and just learning and and growing, and I thought, wow, this is is amazing. You know, this is is great stuff that I'm learning. But I also had this, this very clear thought in my mind, and I said, you know, this is cool. This is fascinating. You know, and if I was ever in a place where I felt like I needed God, this would be tremendously relevant to me. But I just, life was so good. Everything was clicking on all cylinders. I was just like, I don't really have a need for God. If I ever had a need for God, wow, I mean, this would be perfect. Well, as soon as that thought crystallized in my mind, um, or at least it felt like it, it might have been a few months later, but a bunch of things in my life started to converge. Um, my parents, who'd been married for many, many years, um, they separated, and then a bunch of stuff came out, and it was really, really tough on my family. And, um, and so 
so that was tremendously challenging for me. And then um, my smoking hot dream girl, uh, she moved off to Washington, D.C. to take a job. And, you know, long-distance relationships, man. Aren't they great? <laughs> so I had that thing going on. And then my job, which I just loved so much, I was a business consultant. And um, what I started to realize over time was, was that I wasn't having the impact that I thought that I was having. I wasn't making the difference that I thought I was making. And it really became incredibly frustrating and challenging. I mean, it was really, really tough. And with these three things all going on, I, I just got to a place where I just said, you know what? I felt like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. It was so difficult for me. And I just said, you know what, God, I can't do this. I, I had my Jacob moment. You know, my life was pretty much spent just going, you know, if I, if I work hard enough, if I plan it out well enough, I can do this. And then when stuff would come along, I can overcome it except for that whole situation with the girl in ninth grade and my brother. Couldn't overcome that one. But, but pretty much I could do it on my own. I could figure out a way. And I finally just got to a place where I was literally on my knees saying, God, I don't know that I can do this anymore. I need your help. It was like those words were ringing. We all need somebody to lean on. You know, I was, I just, I was there. I realized I need you, God. I need to lean on you. Now, I'd love to tell you that when I prayed that prayer and I actually asked Jesus, I'm like, Jesus, okay, this whole thing, I've been hearing about it in church for like months and months and months. I need, okay, let's go. You my savior? Come on, let's go. It's time to do some work. You know, I need you. I can't do it anymore. I would love to tell you that after I did that, that like, poof, everything was cool. If you've ever heard somebody tell you that, you know, where like all of a sudden you accept Christ and like the world is just beautiful. Well, yes and no. So after I took this step and I admitted that I needed God and I said, yeah, I do need you, God. I need to lean on you. I need a savior in my life. After I did that, my problems didn't go away. But they became very different for me. You see, once... I took that step, I admitted my need, and I leaned on God. I had strength I didn't have before. I had patience to deal with stuff that I didn't have before. I had forgiveness in my heart for people that I didn't have before. I had a sense of peace, even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of distress. I had peace that I didn't have before. I had perspective on things that I didn't have before. So in the midst of all the struggle and all the problems, leaning on God gave me something that I didn't have before. Because now I wasn't walking through this by myself. Jesus tells us that in this world, we will have trouble. We will. But he also promises, promises never to leave us, nor forsake us. Never. And so for the first time in my life, I realized, you know, with God's help, I can actually do this. I can get through this. There are some of you who are actually in that same place where I was years ago, 
And you're in that same place right now. You feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. You know, I mean, if you, if you step back and you really think about it, you are just, you're living your life as if everything depends on you. I got news for you. God says, lean on me. You can lean on God. This is what God is here for. He wants us to lean on him. He wants us to depend on him. We were never intended to live life on our own. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And there are some of you here, and you are so tired. You can identify with Jacob, you know. I'm not saying you're, you're master schemers or anything like that, but, but you can identify with Jacob in the sense of just, man, it's just constantly a struggle. It's just constantly trying to pull myself up from one situation to another in my own strength, and I'm tired I'm tired of doing it that way. I I cannot encourage you enough. God longs for us to lean on him. He longs for us to lean on him. So if you're here this morning and you have never taken that step of faith where you said, God, I actually need you. Jesus, you, you, you say you're the savior of the world. Savior, I need you. It is the most incredible thing that you can do to never again actually be walking alone in this world, having to deal with all this stuff on your own. I cannot encourage you enough to take that step of faith. Really, it's been one of the greatest things I've ever done in my entire life is to take that step. If you're here this morning and that's you, I just encourage you to really think and pray about that because maybe today is a day where you don't have to walk this journey alone. Now, there are others of you who are in this room and you're like, oh yeah, great, great message. You know, that's cool. I did that like six years ago or I did that like 20 years ago. I admitted my need for God and, and, you know, I, I put my faith in Christ and I, I leaned on God. You know, I kind of checked that box, did that. That was great. Okay. If that's you, um, then I think partially what I want to say right now is that this whole leaning on God thing, it's not a one-time event. And we've got to be very careful, at least for me in my Christian life. Uh, I can fall into that trap where I feel like, okay, cool. Like I, I did that. I put my faith in Christ. I admitted my need for God. And now I'm good. You know, like God said, no, no, no. It's a, it's a constant thing. It's a, it's a daily thing of admitting our need for God and leaning on him. You see, the way this whole Christianity thing works, sometimes it's pitched almost like what you're doing is you, you have this transactional deal that happens. And you, you go over to the ticket window where Jesus is, and, um, and you kind of go, okay, Jesus, I'm admitting my need for you. Um, I want one of those free tickets to heaven. That would be cool. Will you, will you save me and, and forgive my sins? And you get the ticket, and you're like, okay, awesome. We're good. I admitted my need. You know, now, now we're all set. I'm walking in your grace. That's not Christianity at all. You know what Christianity is? Jesus gives us a command. He says, follow me. That's what he wants us to do. It's not some sort of like moment where we just try and get the ticket and say, oh, I'm good. I'm saved. Woo, I'm good. No, no, that's, if you think that that's Christianity, you totally missed the boat, okay? Because what Jesus calls us to, that's the first step. But then what we do for the rest of our lives is we actually follow after Jesus Christ, Jesus was radical. He had a totally countercultural way of seeing this world, right? I mean, Jesus flipped everything upside down. He said, you want to be the greatest? Become the least. 
You want to know what it's really about? Consider others better than yourselves and go serve them. Go wash some feet. Give till it hurts because that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian in this broken world is to try and impact it. Love your enemies. Forgive those who spit on you and persecute them. Bless those people. This is crazy stuff, you guys. And Jesus calls us into this relationship. It's not a ticket exchange. It's a relationship where we are called to follow after him. And let me tell you something. And maybe you don't have a need for God to do this. But let me tell you something. When I'm trying to follow Jesus, okay, I don't do it well every day. I I admit that. But when I'm really getting after it and I'm trying to live out what Jesus tells when I'm actually trying, okay, Jesus, here you go. I'm following, I'm following. When I'm actually doing that, you guys, I need God's help. I need his help to be able to do that. Because the, the stuff that Jesus calls us to, if you read it in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I can't do that in my own strength. I don't want to do that in my own strength. So when I'm really actively trying to follow after Jesus, Okay, first thing is you admit, I can't do it all. I mean, I'm never going to be perfect. So that's the whole beginning of the faith thing. You say, okay, I admit, I'm not perfect. You died for me. But then following after Jesus, what you're basically doing is you're saying, Jesus, I need your help. I'm trying to do these commands that you give us. I am trying to love the world the way that you, I am trying to live out my relationships in this way. But I need your help. I need you. I need somebody to lean on. And that's, that's the deal. So, don't fall into the trap that I've fallen into many times. Yeah, I, got, I checked my box. I admitted my need. Yeah, I did that many years ago. It's not a one-time event. It's actually the way we're supposed to live as Christians. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, um, for this bad boy, Jacob. And um, God, I know I just see some of my own qualities and characteristics in Jacob and really trying to live most of my life just in my own strength and my own power. God, I thank you that we all actually walk with a limp. Whether we realize it or not, God, we depend on you. We need you. We all need somebody to lean on. God, uh, help me in those times where I just kind of feel like I don't need you at all, God, and I can just do it on my own and do everything in my own strength. Uh, Help me to realize that that that's never the way that you intended for me to live. It's a beautiful thing to have someone to lean on. And we thank you, God, that you care enough about us, that you would allow us to lean on you, to lean into your strength and your power and your peace and everything that you promise us in this life, even though you promise us we'll still have trouble. God, for those who are here this morning and they're wrestling with who you are, you know, and they're wrestling with this whole, you know, Jesus, you died on the cross and, and this whole message of salvation, God. I pray, God, that you, that you would help them to just see how great it is to admit a need for you and to allow you to come into their life and be their strength. Yeah, and for those of us who fall into that trap like we checked a box, And we're good. You know, we got the ticket. And we're cruising now on our own, God. Bring us back to what it means to follow after you, Jesus. To see this world the way you see it. Help us to realize we need to lean on you every day if we're going to really live out the calling that you put on our lives. Lord, we thank you that you want us to lean on you, not because you need us to, but because you love us. 
Oh, how you love us so much, God, that you would be there for us, beckoning us to lean on you, God, as we sing this last song about your love for us. Lord, help us all to lean into you in Christ's name.